Hello, hello, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. Thank you for checking in as we get into the offseason now. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat. Finals are over, don't have much time to mourn. Got to get right on into it. The draft is this Thursday, free agency the week after that. So uh, there's no rest for the wicked when it comes to teams that make the finals, I guess, like the Miami Heat. So uh, for today, we will go into a little bit of talk surrounding recent trades that the Miami Heat have been rumored to be involved with, specifically what ended up happening with Bradley Beal and the potential of Damian Lillard. And then we'll look a little bit ahead to the draft upcoming this Thursday and just try to talk a little bit about what Miami could try to do with their draft pick, who, what kind of players they could target, and a few names that popped up in my very limited draft research. But first, we need to talk about trades because that was the most important thing uh, involving Miami over the last week. So the finals have not been over more than, I think, even like two or three hours before the offseason talks already started circulating around Bradley Beal wanting out of the Washington Wizards with uh, him being heavily linked to my the Miami Heat. Unfortunately, Bradley Beal would end up being traded to the Phoenix Suns, but backing up to give a little bit of context going into uh, th- that situation. Essentially, Bradley Beal, a few years back, was a leading scorer in the NBA. Since then, has kind of settled into more of just an elite scorer but still performed well enough that Washington felt the need to not only give him a Supermax contract, but to give him a very rare no-trade clause. Essentially meaning Bradley Beal, if he were to be traded, would be able to choose his location. It's not a situation where Washington could go, hey, the Oklahoma City Thunder are willing to give us six first-round picks for Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal could go, well, I don't want to play for the Thunder, not waiving my no-trade clause. And so that was essentially the point of contention and one of the reasons why Beal was primarily linked to Miami. So point of contention because it's hard to trade a player when they have no trade clause, they have to waive it. And then where Miami came into things is, uh, this is a fun thing I learned during Dwayne Wade's retirement tour in 2018-2019, uh, where Bradley Beal wars number three for the Wizards because Dwayne Wade was a favorite player of his growing up. So that, uh, him reportedly being close with Bam Adebayo, and the general winning that Miami has been doing over the last few years of the Jimmy Butler era, it made a lot of sense for, for Bradley Beal to want to be in Miami. And to that point, uh, when he started talking about teams that he would waive his no-trade clause for, Miami was on the short list of that. It was like Miami, and then ultimately ended up being Phoenix as well, which where Phoenix came in is because Beal's, I think it was like his agent's father, is the general manager or the president over at Phoenix. So there was an an agent familial connection there, which is probably how Bradley Beal heard about Phoenix. Hey, it's a really good place. Let me pitch you on it, blah, blah, blah. And eventually Bradley Beal goes, okay, I will waive my no-trade clause for Phoenix as well. And that was important for Washington because then that allowed Washington to leverage Phoenix and Miami against each other and see who was going to come up with a better package. Because the other part of this, as I frequently mention when it comes to trades, is the other team has to agree to it. So there has to be something of value for for that team getting back. Bradley Beal could say, hey, I'm only wa- waiving my no-trade clause for Miami. Miami could say, cool, if we're the only suitor, we're offering pennies. And Washington still could have said, no, we'll keep Bradley Beal and we'll just go through the length of the contract and see what happens then. So it is not a situation where Beal could necessarily force his way out. He could only limit the options 
that Washington could negotiate with. And so ultimately, Washington decided to go with the package that Phoenix was offering. Specifically, they got back uh, CP3, Landry Shamit, uh, a few second-round picks, and pick swaps, which is not much for a player Bradley Beal's caliber. E- even if you're down on Bradley Beal, that's still you know pennies. For the most part, what Washington got out of this deal was getting off of money quicker. So real quick to compare to what Miami was offering. Reportedly, because... Again, we don't have any official, like, we know officially what the Wizards got for Bradley Beal from the Phoenix Suns. We don't have any official of what Miami offered. We just have reports to go off of. From those reports, it seemed like Miami was offering Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, and multiple first-round picks. And what it ended up seeming to be for Washington was that they prioritized getting off the money. So Kyle Lowry, CP3 are both large expiring contracts next year. Those are roughly similar. I think CP3 might have been making more money maybe. Uh, So maybe that could have been in as well. But I know that they were both expiring next year's and they're large. So roughly equitable. The big difference comes between Duncan Robinson versus Landry Shamit. Shamit does, his contract does have 24-25. Sorry, 23-24. So he would be on the Wizards next year. After that, it becomes non-guaranteed. And then after that, I believe there is a team option to cut him versus Duncan Robinson, who is 100% on the books for at least two more years. And that third year is a player option, which he's almost certainly going to take for like 18 to 20 million. So essentially Duncan's contract would have for sure gone on longer and been more expensive than Shamit's. So considering CP three versus Lowry was a bit of a wash. Shamit was more cost saving versus Duncan. It makes sense. If Washington was prioritizing getting off money quicker that that's why they ultimately went with Washington's offer, even though they only got some second-round picks and pick swaps back versus, say, whatever first-round picks Miami was offering. And then may- maybe also they can do something with CP3 as well. But at the end of the day, it, that, that's what it seemed to be. Washington wanted to get off uh, money, and that's why they ultimately chose between the packages, those packages to go with the one that more cost-saving. As for why Miami didn't put in more in the package, Essentially, I think that that was about the the limit of what the Heat wanted to put in for a combination of wanting to keep the rest of their uh, trade assets available for a potential Damian Lillard trade not too long after Bradley Beal was announced to be traded to the the Suns. A report came out about how Miami was focused in on Damian Lillard, just like a, hey, we know we could have gotten this guy probably, but we, we prioritize this other person more, you know, just... Try to give an excuse, essentially, for lack of a better term. Uh, but then the other part, I think, legitimately with Bradley Beal was the combination of his contract, which is a Supermax large contract. So that's committing a lot of money to a player that, for the most part, at least the perspective of him that I have is more so a player that got their money and then has kind of coasted ever since, which doesn't necessarily fit the kind of mentality Miami wants no, 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 you're going to get your money, but you're going to work your ass off because we're competing for championships. Counter-argument, Washington wasn't really competing for championships, so maybe he didn't feel the need for it. But regardless, it is still a risk to commit that amount of money to Bradley Beal, who, at the very least, has not proven himself in the playoffs beyond, I think, I think the Wizards made one second round with him when he was the second star behind John Wall, something like that. Otherwise, he has not done anything in the playoffs. So you're kind of just paying for regular season success. And then the other part of it is, say that thing goes south, well, that no-trade clause still continues on. So like, if, if everything goes south in Phoenix, like Kevin Durant 
wants out or gets injured. Devin Booker wants out as well. And the Suns are left. They're like, okay, well, the only way we have to improve the roster is to trade Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal can turn around and go, well, that's nice. I'm not even waving my no-trade clause. You're stuck with me. So same situation for Miami. If they had traded for Beal and it didn't work out and they wanted to trade Beal for other parts or other ways to improve the roster, they have to get him to waive that no-trade clause. So ultimately... I'm a little bit bummed. I thought Bradley Beal would have been a great fit in Miami. I liked the idea of Dwayne Wade being his favorite player, coming to the Heat, helping the Heat win a title, and continuing on Dwayne Wade's legacy. Conversely, though, I I don't know how much that actually meant to him. And then I understand not wanting to go all in with, with some of the risks that are associated with Bradley Beal. And then, conversely, keeping everything, keeping all your powder dry, if you will, to go after Damian Lillard. So let's talk a little bit about Damian Lillard. And I I think the first thing, because this is at least the the thing that got lost on me in the Beal versus Lillard discussions, is trading for Damian Lillard is not something that can be done now. Because of when he signed his contract extension and because the CBA rules that it has to be based off of the anniversary of when you sign your extension, Damian Lillard is not available to trade until July 9th. Granted, you could have a you could have a handshake deal in place. You could you could say you're going to do it. The unfortunate part is nothing is set in stone until July 9th because that's the earliest that it can be. Now the appeal to Lillard is, is very obvious. He's in his early 30s. He is an elite scoring point guard with incredible range. Would fit so well next to Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. He can run pick and roll with Bam. He can space the floor for Jimmy and Bam. He makes sure that both of those players don't have to commit as much on offense because, hey, Damian Lillard is a 30-point-per-game scorer while bombing from deep and clutch. Defense might be a little suspect considering his size and age, but conversely, you still have Jimmy and, and Bam that could pick up more on the defensive end to cover for him considering Lillard will carry more of the offensive load. So the, the appeal is, is immediate and would arguably make Miami, you know, granted with, with other stuff around the roster, would make Miami, at least their core, one of the most, if not the most competitive in the East. So, very clearly, Miami would love to trade for Damian Lillard. The problem with that comes not only from the fact that you can't do it until July 9th, but also comes from, you know, to his credit, Dame's loyalty to the Portland Trailblazers, the organization that drafted him, and Dame has had multiple times over his career, especially over the last few years, where he could have asked out of Portland, but has ultimately decided to double down and say, no, I want to stay here, I want to win a chip. Now, as the years drag on, and it, it becomes more and more clear that Portland is not a title-containing roster, the closest they ever got was 2019 Western Conference Finals, but that was a similar thing to like when the Hawks made the 2021 conference finals. Like, sure, you made it there, but this feels like you you tapped out and tapped out your ceiling, maybe even defied it. And sure enough, in that 2019 Western Conference Finals, the Portland, the Trailblazers, I think they got swept, or it was like in five. It wasn't very competitive against the, a Durantless Warriors at the time. And since then, it's just been downhill. So the writing on the wall says this team is not going to contend anytime soon. Point in case they have the third pick in the draft, they could really use that to rebuild. But the rumors right now are that Damian Lillard wants the Portland Trailblazers to trade the third pick to try to bring in veteran help. 
Lillard being over 30, I think he's like 32, 33, doesn't really have the time to be around for, hey, let's bring in this, this you know, third overall pick. Let's give him a year or two to develop. Let's pair him with some other young players. And, and then you'll have a, a roster. By then, Lillard's going to be 35, 36. Hence why he wants to have the Blazers trade the pick now. See if they can get more veteran help. See if they can get into the playoffs and maybe make some noise. Me, personally, I I don't think that's possible, mainly because of, I don't know what they would do if they went up against the Denver Nuggets with the Nikola Jokic. One of the lessons coming out of last year's playoffs is you have to account for Jokic now. It's, to me, it reminds me a little bit of, like, in the 2010s. Like, you had to account for LeBron, whether especially if you were in his conference, you had to account for him. And same thing with, with the West now. Like, you have to account for Jokic. I don't think Portland, at least their roster as currently constructed, does not have any answers for Jokic. And so it's tempting then to just say, hey, let's rebuild now, trade Dame for stuff, and try to wait out this Jokic thing, and, and we'll get him when the next generation comes along. So ultimately, the the Blazers and the Damian Lillard are at a crossroads, and where I think this boils down is we watch the moves that happen over the next few weeks revolving Portland. The And for that, I would say there are two uh, key inflection points. The first is the draft this Thursday. Because like I already just said, uh, the Blazers want to trade the third overall pick so that way they can try to get some more veteran help around Damian Lillard. Uh, the One of the big names I, I've heard rumored around right now involves the uh, New Orleans Pelicans and and hopefully getting either Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram back. I believe the Blazers want Brandon Ingram, but the Pelicans are more so trying to shop Zion Williamson because of some drama involving him and an adult film star that you can look into if you would like. It's it's pretty crazy. But the the main point there being, though, is Portland is trying to trade that pick, but they only have until the draft to trade it because after that, they will have made that pick. And so whether it's because they ultimately decide to go into a rebuild, like they want to lean more into the rebuild side of things, or if if a a deal just doesn't materialize for them to trade that third overall pick, either way, it would be very telling uh, if they end up using that third pick Thursday for like a Scoot Henderson or a Brandon Miller, that would make it more likely that Damian Lillard asks for a trade. And then the other inflection point will be when free agency opens up. Because I went through Portland's roster to see who their free agents were. And two that really stood out for me, if if the plan is to have a title-contending veteran, more veteran-leaning roster around Damian Lillard, they'll almost certainly need to re-sign Jeremy Grant and Justice Winslow, who are both unrestricted free agents this offseason. Jeremy Grant being a really great 3-and-D forward, Justice Winslow being, at the very least, a rotation player for the Blazers, both veterans. Winslow's kind of just on the cusp of being a veteran. He's his mid-20s. But again, it's mid-20s versus early 20s, like we're talking about with some of their draft picks. And when it comes to those two, admittedly, I, I don't know too much about the market around them. Uh, obviously, I know Jeremy Grant is considered valued. Justice Winslow has had some injury-ridden few years, so maybe they can get him on the cheap. But I think at the very least, the, Jeremy Grant would be the big one. If he walks away for nothing... To, to some other team, that's a huge blow to the to the Trailblazers. And, and again, it pushes them away from the veteran Dame team that they want to make and nudges them more towards, all right, you, you kind of have to rebuild. 
Like, if Jeremy Grant and Joseph Winslow walk away for nothing, well, and they don't trade the third overall pick for any other veteran help, then the writing might just be on the wall and Dame and the Blazers could come together and say, hey, we tried. We tried to improve the roster, but everything is leaning towards a rebuild, so let's just, let's just go ahead and pull the plug on this. And both those moves would happen before the July 9th when Damian Lillard would be available. So that's where I ultimately come back to and say, with the Damian Lillard thing, I think this is a wait and see over the next few weeks. See what Portland does with the draft. See how they do in free agency if they're able to retain their veteran uh, unrestricted free agents. And then as we, as after that, as we approach July 9th, we'll have a better idea of if Damian Lillard actually, actually asks out for a trade. For Miami side of things, it given that they, for the most part, let Beal pass, it seems like they are content to keep all their assets dry and wait for that July 9th deadline to see what happens with Damian Lillard. Moving on, I think that's about a good place to stop the trade talk for now. We can revisit the Lillard thing in, in the upcoming weeks. The other thing I wanted to talk about today for a good bit, at least, is the upcoming draft. Coming this Thursday night... Uh, Miami has the 18th pick in the draft because they they had such a bad record and were in the play-in and, you know, almost, well, they ended up with the 8th seed and they almost got knocked out of the playoffs before then going on a crazy run and getting all the way to the finals, all that good stuff. But we still keep the 18th pick even though we made it to the finals, so a little best of both worlds there. Now, I am admittedly not as much of a draft person in general, but doubly so when I am more focused on my team being in the finals than the upcoming draft. So w- everything I say here, to be fair, is probably to be taken with a grain of salt just because I have not gotten to put in the time that numerous other people have been doing over the, over the last few weeks, even on top of what's going on with the playoffs, uh, to do quality draft coverage. So I would say, like, I'm going to give my two cents, I'm going to give my takes on it, but you're gonna f- you can find tons of other ideas or thoughts out there as well. So, but with the 18th pick though, real quick, the thing I do know is it's a little bit tricky to predict necessarily a specific name for Miami because there's a multitude of variations of how this draft could go, and there doesn't seem to be consensus on on even like tiers like hey, this player is definitely in the 10 to 14 range. This player is in the so-and-so range. When you get Actually, and also when you start getting to the later parts of the draft, it just gets tricky anyway because maybe Team A values a certain draft player that most people had on average at 18 and they value them at 10 and they take them at 10. Well, then that you know just causes a cascading effect and then nobody really knows who ends up being taken at 18. So with this, though... What I what I wanted to focus on then was Miami's team needs from the that they could try to find in the draft, and then just some players that fit uh, based off of the scouting reports that I was able to read and listening to a, a few people discuss the draft. So like last year, where Miami ultimately went with uh, Nikola Jovic, like this year as well, Miami is arguably in need of front court size and depth to put next to Bam Adebayo and to keep Jimmy more playing the three than the four. Three-point shooting, as always, the Miami needs. They Again, they have Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. Neither of, them, neither of them take threes. So the other three players you put on the court have to be able to shoot threes. And then the better they can shoot, the more spaced out there is for Bam and Jimmy to go to work. 
And then alongside that, what ultimately doomed Miami in the finals, lack of three-point shooting. They only had one game where they thought shot 35% or better from three. That was game two. They shot crazy, and they won that one. The other games, though, they were absolutely abysmal from three. And then the last thing that they could try to look for in the draft, a potential replacement for Gabe Vincent or Max Struess, both of which will be unrestricted free agents this offseason. And I, I think it's very likely that one, if not both of them, walk for more money in free agency. We can discuss that more next week, though, after the draft. So from the little bit of draft research that I was able to do, I came up with, I think, six names that I think could at least cover, hopefully one of the six, ends up being the one that Miami picks. But to go through the list real quick, first up, Chris Murray, a 3 and D forward, great feel, for the game, could be a legit plug-and-play option for Miami. Also, a brother of Keegan Murray, who I believe is Sacramento Kings, drafted last year. So, along the same vein, Keegan Murray, very good for the Sacramento Kings, if I got that team right. Chris Murray, though not quite as talented as his brother, could still be in a similar mold. And for me, it's the idea of plug-and-play. Like, he can just be ready to go for a title-containing roster from the start. After him... Jet Howard, son of Jawan Howard, who played a few years for the Big Three Miami back in the day. Uh, Big Three Heat Miami. But Jet Howard is an elite shooter, though it does have some questionable defense. Yet, he has the physical body and the physical tools for it. So that's where I, I personally get enticed by things like that, because as long as they have the physical tools and you give them a coach like Eric Sprolstra and a coach a culture like the Miami Heat that values defense so much... I at least feel that you're going to get closer to your maximum on defense than than the floor. So Jet Howard could work on that questionable defense here. And then based off his size, he could play the two through four, depending on the lineup. Like you could have a, a, a taller lineup where he is playing the shooting guard, or you can go with a smaller lineup where he's playing the four. So some positional flexibility would be very nice. Uh, after him, Olivier Maxence Prosper, if they said that right, a very much defensive-minded forward, though does have some offensive upside so long as he continues to work on his shooting and with some better coaching direction, again, an advantage of having Miami's development and Eric Spolstra and, and all that good stuff. But he is a fluid athlete with a high motor, which is usually the kind of thing that gets Miami's attention. It would, And this would end up being something, I guess, in a similar vein to, like, a Haywood Highsmith, right? Let's bring in this guy that's defensive-minded. We know we won't have to worry about that end of the court. And then see what we can do on the offensive end with them to get them to a level that they can be a rotation piece. Then the last name that I have for the forwards part of this, uh, Leonard Miller, who I saw on a few draft boards from Miami. Ball-handling forward that, well, kind of like with an Anthony Davis situation where he started out as a guard, he had a big growth spurt, and now he's still kind of learning to adjust to that bigger body while still having all the ball-handling guard skills. So he's got ball-handling skills, he could read the court, he has those guard and passing skills as well, but the problem there becomes he's still growing into his body, learning how to do that on both defense, and then um, with offense, it's learning how to use that body with his shot, from, from what I understood from some of the scouts, his mechanics are a little bit wonky. Maybe that's something Miami shooting coaches can work on him with. But if the upside of this is a forward with ball handling skills that can somewhat shoot the floor and then has the physical skills to be an impact on defense, 
hey, that's another great pick for Miami. And that's kind of the theme with those first four picks is essentially varying degrees of a player that could play like either small forward or power forward and help give Miami's front court more size and depth. The other two names that I have on this list are more so along the lines of like trying to find a replacement for Vincent Struess while also providing some three-point shooting. First one, Colby Jones, two-way wing guard that can shoot, defend, just an all-around great role player. It doesn't seem like he has necessarily the highest ceiling from what I see on the scouting reports, but the floor seems solid enough, and he seems like he has enough general skills that, again, he could just come in from Miami, be a bench rotation player, and fill in that slot that like Gabe Vincent or Max Struess was doing before. Since he's a two-way, well, since he's both a wing and guard, he's big enough to do both. And then last one, Bryce Sensabal, a very much offensive-leaning guard with size and shooting, bully ball, he could do some bully ball stuff. So a, a little bit of a mix of like, you take like a Jimmy Butler's bully ball style, getting to the post, back down players, shoot over them, mix in a little bit with like, a Tyler Hero off the dribble shot, like I think he shot like 40% from three, something crazy like that. Offensively, this could be like the offensive-minded guard that Miami is, has been searching for, that they hoped Hero would be, and they were hoping to maybe trade for Beal or Lillard to have that as well. They could have that in Bryce Sensabaugh. The flip side of it, though, he has already had a few major injuries to his knees that have both sapped his athleticism and cause long-term injury concerns for, for you know for teams that are going to draft him, and even beyond that, his defense was questionable, which is something that Miami vehemently preaches, especially for rookies. Like, hey, you're you're going to need to defend if you're going to get onto the court. Maybe he has enough offense that he finds a way onto the roster, regardless. But that we'd have to wait and see. Then the other thing, as I wrap this part up, that I just want to mention in regards to the draft is just. Keep an eye out if, if Miami goes with like a really unusual pick, mainly because at that point they may be trying to set up for like a Damian Lillard trade. Where, say, Portland, they don't get anything for three. They take Scoot Henderson at three. Miami later on has 18. And by then they're talking to Portland and like, and Portland's like, all right, look, we couldn't get anything. We're going to eventually trade Dame. Uh, can you get this player for us at 18 and, and you'll include that in the trade package July 9th? Because again, nothing can be set in stone, but you can still try to set up. Now, I do think Miami could still uh, get the best of both worlds or double dip, if you will, by just focusing on one of these 3 and D forwards, like one of the four 3 and D forwards that I mentioned, just because every single team wants those. So even if Portland was like, all right, we're going to trade Dame, Miami could still go cool. Well, here's a Chris Murray or here's a Leonard Miller that that you would probably be interested in anyway for a rebuild. Just something that like popped in my head as a, as a possibility or a way to read further into what's going on with uh, Damian Lillard. So admittedly not the most in-depth uh, draft coverage that I've seen out there, but I did want to at least touch on it, mention some names talk about Miami's needs, and then mention how what they do in the draft could still be setting up for future moves down the road. So for now, the plan with the podcast, draft is Thursday. I'll be back next Monday to go over not only the draft and who we ended up picking and how that went, but then obviously also to talk about what the Trailblazers did with that third pick, and then look a little bit ahead to free agency 
which will be starting July 1st. So, yeah, literally we have the draft, and then next week's free agency talk. A week after that, we have free agency. We're just banging them out right after the others. What you end up doing when your team makes the finals. But that'll be all for today. this episode. I do thank you for hanging around today. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Also check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball for all the off-season content. Uh, links for everything are in the show notes as usual. I'll be back next Monday. Until then, hope you all have a great week, Heat Nation.